What is it, re reading rainbow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see Lamar Burton. <laughs> I should go to Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You give me a moment, I'll sing the whole song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're great for spring. <laughs> I'm just a giant. Good morning, everyone. If we can start making our way to our seats. We'll get started this morning. Good morning, good morning. It's great to see everybody on this beautiful spring day. I'd like to welcome all of you watching us online as well. We're so glad you're able to worship with us this morning. We have the privilege this morning of Experience Believer's Baptism. A couple of our guys here, we're so excited about that. Just a couple quick announcements. Uh, some reminders from last week. I'll wait till everybody settles. I'm not a whistler, or I would, you know. I do love that we experience community. It's kind of what I encouraged last week, but all right. Bring it in, folks. Bring it in. Here we go. You can spend some lunch together. All right. We mentioned this last week, a couple things. The new life group at the Watleys, Kyle and Kayla's house, is happening tonight, 6 p.m. Um, for all ages, walks of life, kids are welcome. Um, the uh, information is on the website, gatewaybaptist.com. And we really appreciate Missy's lively, expressive announcement from last week. If y'all weren't here, it's very funny. Instead of hiking, the lady's going to have a taco lunch. So next Sunday, May 22nd, after worship in the gym, uh, all ladies are invited. Uh, you should have received an email about it. Uh, register by this Wednesday so they can prepare food to know how many are coming. And again, all the details are on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. Lastly, just to continue to remind all the parents, uh, Vacation Bible School is June 13th through 17th. Very excited about that. Molly's been working hard getting volunteers and others prepared um, and get ready for an email coming up soon under news and events under our gatewaybaptist.com page. I'd like to ask our senior pastor, Grady, to come up for a special announcement. Well, good morning, Gateway family. I want to give you a deacon ministry update this morning. So our deacons, you guys come on up. Not everyone's able to be here today, but for Alex, Eric, John, Kyle, Mike, Ron, and Shin, you guys come you stand across the front where everybody can see. You come up here on the platform. Actually, come up on the platform where everybody can see you guys. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, in recent months when we did deacon elections, we cast a vision for a different way of approaching deacon ministry at Gateway going forward. And one of the big changes is deacons are going to become specialists who lead ministry teams. Their job is not to do everything at Gateway. Their job is to equip you, the congregation, to use your spiritual gifts to serve. You heard a challenge on this in recent weeks as we talked about what is a church and our calling to make disciples, our calling to use our gifts to serve. And so these guys are here to help mobilize you to serve. And so each of them are going to have different areas, and these aren't set for life, but they are going to begin this year with giving oversight to specific ministry areas. And so we're going to email you this week these different areas. And if you're looking for a place to start serving at Gateway, these are the guys to come see. They're going to be your own rants to getting involved with different things here. Not with us this morning, but Alex Hood, who's been a deacon with us for a long time, he is going to be overseeing campus safety and security. So if you would like to be involved in our security team to keep people safe while we're on campus, our medical response, all of that, Alex Hood is going to be the guy to see with that. Also, he's going to be working alongside some of these other guys to build a team for sick care. We want to do a better job nourishing the body when you're sick. If you have sickness, we want a better care for you. And so Alex is going to be working with these other guys to build a team to help care for those who are sick in our church fellowship. 
Um, Eric Butterfield down here is going to be overseeing our technology on campus, particularly our church database system. So this is a very um, niche area. So not just everyone can sign up to help Eric with this area, but if you understand church database programming, management of all that type stuff, he is the guy to talk to, as well as overseeing our kiosk check-in. If you want to get hands-on and love technology and help us with some of those areas of service, Eric is your guy to see. Over here is John Glasscock, and he's going to be deacon over ordinances. So baptisms like this morning and the Lord's Supper, these things don't just happen magically. There's people who come early and they prepare the baptism tanks and they work with the people being baptized. They prepare the Lord's Supper. They coordinate the distribution of it all. And so if you would like to be involved in serving behind the scenes to help the body celebrate these ordinances, John is the guy to see. He's going to also help us with website content as well. Now, Kyle Watley right here, Kyle's going to be helping us with parent care. If you'd like to join us in building a team to better care for the parents of the church when they have new babies, as they're walking the path of discipleship, he's the guy to talk to. He's also going to help us with facilities, with project quotes. So if you want to get involved in helping us with some long-range, big-picture things to help Gateway grow on our campus, he is one of the guys to talk to on that. Mike Presley here is going to be the deacon for the best term we've come up with is Sunday morning operations. And so Sunday morning operations means he's the guy who's going to be coordinating, getting the campus ready on Sunday mornings, the greeters and all that. Not that he does it all again, but he's building a team of people who are willing to come in at 7.30 on Sunday mornings. About once a quarter, you come in, you'd open up the campus, you get the campus ready, and he would train you in that and help you do that. So if you want to serve and want to have a way to very practically hands-on help the whole body in the ministry of hospitality, talk to Mike about helping get the campus ready on Sunday mornings, as well as greeters. We really want to grow hospitality and helping people feel welcome here. And so if you would like to be on the greeting team, not just opening the doors, but be a greeter in the parking lot or greeters in the sanctuary, there's a lot, a lot of vision we have to grow the greeting ministry. Mike is the guy to talk to. We love to have you guys involved with all that. There this is Alex, who I already mentioned your area, Alex. Alex is a new dad, and so, um, and so again, as I mentioned, he's doing campus safety and security in sick care. Not with us this morning because he's with grandkids away is Ron Burke. Ron Burke is going to be helping us with project quotes and handyman services. So if you're hands-on and think, I could help save the, help the church by fixing things and knowing people who can fix things. Ron's going to be the guy to help us with that as well. And then also doing something somewhere down here, Shin Jong. Shin is going to be helping us with our regular maintenance needs, project quotes, handyman services. So even if you want to serve the body by changing light bulbs, if you want to help out by just helping around the campus in any practical ways, talk to Shin as well. And so again, these are the starting areas. These areas are going to grow and evolve with time as these areas get better taken care of. These guys have other passions as well from missions to discipleship. And so we're going to start releasing them into more and more of these areas as these other areas get taken care of. So we're just really thrilled with what the Lord's going to do through these brothers. Again, their job is not to do everything for the church. Their job is to equip you to use your spiritual gifts to serve the body. So again, I know that's a lot of information. We will email you later this week with all their contact information. So if you're thinking, yes, I want to serve, but I don't know how, but hey, I want to help on the security team, or hey, I want to help with the facilities. I want to help with parent discipleship and parent care. If I want to help with greeting, we're going to have you all that contact information so you can take those first steps and reach out to any of these brothers and say, hey, I want to join you in being involved with this. And we look forward to what the Lord is going to do. So brothers, thank you all. We're excited about what the Lord's going to do. All right. Thank the Lord for these men. If we all please stand, I'm going to read a scripture and remind us about the great God and King we're about to worship. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is our hope? What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone, and is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong. Who holds our taste within His hand? What comes of
Well, Gateway family, we get to celebrate a baptism now as we continue to, to worship the Lord and to celebrate his greatness. We get to celebrate his greatness and transform lives this morning. So let me read to you from Matthew chapter 28. We studied this text together as a church family just a few weeks ago, but Matthew 28, starting verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You remember this from a few weeks ago. Make disciples. That's the only command here. Make disciples of all nations. And how do we do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. We have two baptisms this morning. We have to celebrate the baptism of Aaron Ward, who's in the tank right now. And then Jeremy Kearns will be in there in just a minute. This is Jeff Han, one of our members in the tank with these guys. So let me just remind you what baptism is. Baptism is a profession of faith. The way someone says, I am a follower of Christ. It's the way people, since the, the early church has shown the world that they belong to Christ. There's nothing magical about these waters. This is a symbol, a powerful symbol to remind us of our new life in Christ. We're saying that I believe that Christ died for my sins and was buried, and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. But furthermore, it's a confession saying, because of what Christ has done for me, because of God's grace changing me, I have died to my old way of life, and I have been raised to newness of life as well. And so this is what they are confessing as well, as we as a church are making a confession as well, that we believe we see God's grace at work on this brother's life, and that we are acknowledging that and affirming and celebrating God's grace at work in his life. That is why we celebrate baptism and do so corporately as a church family. Now in the tank right here is Aaron Ward, and so Aaron asked me if I would read his testimony for him, which I am very glad to do, and so I want to share with you his story here. This is what Aaron said. He said, I grew up in and out of the Methodist church most of my kid life, and once I was given the option to stop going, I took advantage of that. So I started hanging out with the wrong crowd in high school, and this is where I started drinking and doing drugs. This continued throughout high school, and by 18, I was a full-blown drug addict. This went on for a few years until I met the girl who would later become my wife. She was a regular churchgoer and was attending a Church of Christ church here in Montgomery. I knew who Jesus was and some of the stories in the Bible, but the way they did church and some of their practices didn't sit right with me. This led me to ask the preacher to do a Bible study with me at home so I could learn more. Through the Bible study, it was clear that Jesus died for my sins, was buried, resurrected, and is coming back. This led me to get baptized, but with the belief that my baptism would save me. Although I didn't think I was truly saved, and I do believe this is when the Lord started coming after me. At this point, I quit alcohol and drugs on my own and was regularly attending church, even serving at church for a few years. Church was just a Sunday event, though, and the rest of the week I would be living my life in my own strength. After I started having kids, I began drinking again in social settings, but quickly started drinking every weekend to cope with the stress of work and family. Soon after that, I began drinking daily while hiding it from family in the church. I became a functioning alcoholic and stayed that way for years. Even though the spiral of degradation had been at full force in my life, I still needed to be humbled further. My life began falling apart more and more, so much that I basically lost everything and was even losing my relationship with my wife and my kids. Even alcohol almost taking my life was not enough to stop me from living this way. Thankfully, the Lord had a plan. 
I reached out to a friend about Fisher's Farm, and Jeff, you're standing right there, Jeff and Jen, were gracious enough to take me into the program. I began studying the Word and experienced an intimate relationship with the Lord. All those times in church, I was hearing the Word, but it wasn't until I came to Fisher's Farm that the Spirit opened my eyes and ears to be able to see and hear the truth of the Gospel. The Lord has given me a new heart, and I fully submitted my life to Him. I know that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is why I want to be baptized today for the first time as a believer, as an act of obedience to the Lord, and to share with you what the Lord has done in my life. So, Aaron, that is a powerful testimony of God's grace, and we rejoice with you at what the Lord has done in pursuing you and rescuing you and giving you faith. You see on his shirt, sola fide, that's the Latin phrase for faith alone. The, only our faith in Christ saves us because of what Christ has done. Well, if you've been around Gateway for a while, you know that one of the things we love about baptism is we want to give some of you who know Aaron a chance to say a quick word of encouragement to him. This is not a chance for a mini-sermon, okay, but if you have a brief word of encouragement or a scripture you want to share with him, I want to give you a chance to do that. So, who, okay, we'll start over here with Blake, and so... I'll hold the mic. Okay, that works. Aaron, I think, you know, we were immediately drawn to each other because we're both gingers, right? You know, we gotta, we got to unite. There's very few of us. Uh, but man, brother, just as I've gotten to know you over the uh, course of several last several months and our Wednesday night men's Bible study, just uh, and we've even had a chance to pray together and, and share our hearts and things that are going on. It's just an encouragement to see you here today in the, you know, stepping up and, and making a public profession of your just, I've seen you grow. I've heard your testimony, you know, in class, and, and as we've shared, you know, our stories together, and it's just an encouragement to see you here. I want to just, you know, let you know, hey, you know, it's a, it's a blessing and an honor for all of us to hear your testimony from Grady, but then also to be able to see you, you know, walk it out, live it out, and just encourage you to keep on doing what you're doing, man, because uh, God's working and it's evident. Amen. I will echo that as well. So, Greg. Hey, Aaron. I love you, brother. It's been a pleasure to have you as part of our Sunday school family for, for quite a while now. And the, the whole, I guess the saying that quiet waters run deep, I think that describes you. You know, you don't, you don't talk a lot. You're, you're more quiet. But I know that there's a deep faith. And I'm just excited for the step you're taking today. And I just want to read you this scripture. It's been kind of my life verse. And I just want to encourage you with this. It's a uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I just want to say to you, Paul was talking in some respects here about not resting on his laurels of his past, but he also did not live in his past. And I praise God he's given you a new birth and new life to walk ahead with. We'll be praying for you, brother. Love you. Amen to that. And I just want to share a word of encouragement to Aaron. Um, as someone who knew Aaron in high school, I just wanted to say, um, like, it's only the Lord, but it's just so amazing to see what he has done in your life. And I feel like once... The Lord saves somebody. It's not just an eternal 
thing, but like it's a physical, and I can see like the physical difference between, you know, when, when you were dead and now like you're alive in the Lord, and there's just like this glow. I feel like the Lord um, gives his children, and so I'm just, I'm so excited to see this um, new season of life for you um, as you get baptized today. I'm proud of you, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Hey, Aaron. Um, I've had the privilege of getting to live alongside with you at Fisher's Farm, and your life is really convicting. Um, you love God's word, and you carry it everywhere, um, even in your lunchbox to work. Um, and I know that because I pick up the lunchboxes. But um, I, I'm constantly convicted by your life, and it's just so encouraging when we see guys go through Fisher's Farm who completely change, and you are definitely one of those people. So we are super encouraged by your life. Amen. Yes, absolutely. We see the transformation and we rejoice in that. One more, Bruno, over here. Hey, Aaron. Uh, man, when uh, you and our other friends uh, with Jeff started coming to Gateway, I know the Lord has brought you all here and it's been, you know, a great place for all of us to fellowship and encouragement for you guys and a place for growth. But I just want to remind you, like I, I have said on our Wednesday night group, like Blake just said, y'all have been a blessing to us. And, 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 you know, just seeing the Lord working as real as it is in y'all's life, that brings uh, refresh to our faith. And uh, I, I just want to encourage you as you continue on on this journey. I remember myself over 20 years ago, this church was like a safe place for me to grow, coming out of places that were not encouraging. This church was a place to grow, and uh, I'm so excited to see you continue to grow here. It's just so amazing. Thank you for all that uh, you represent as the Lord continues to do his work in you, and uh, we're all together on this. Keep it up, brother. Amen. Good word, Bruno. Good word. Okay, Jeff, I'll turn it back over to you for a final word of encouragement and challenge then. So, uh, yeah, Aaron, I'm just uh, encouraged like my brothers and sisters in this room by your life and just how the Lord, I remember the first day you showed up and just how God has been faithful to work in your life and grow you. And even when you didn't believe he would do it, just your trust that he would do it. And um, it's encouraging. So. It's a privilege to baptize you today. So, so Aaron, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and in him alone is where you're going to find salvation? I do. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jeremy Kearns. So Jeremy also has finished the Fisher's Farm program that Aaron's in, and he is now an intern at the farm working with Jeff. And so he's going to share his story with you. Morning, y'all. Morning. Woo! Um, sorry, I'm a little nervous. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a typical American uh, church, church family. Just, you know, we went to church regularly. So I grew up 
knowing who God was, knowing who Jesus was, having that idea of Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins. And when I was eight, I was baptized um, and, and professed Christ. But as my life went on and I look back, um, it's just very evident that there was no true salvation, no change of life. Um, I even think back to that baptism of there was no testimony sharing. It was just kind of that last part, oh, do you believe in Jesus, um, which is at eight years old is really easy to say yes. Um, but, you know, through high school, just very much that, um, that brother in the field, not necessarily the prodigal son of just, you know, going to church and my sins aren't as bad as those guys' sins, so I'm okay. Um, and, yeah, so got just caught up in different things, though, in the world, just drinking and pornography and sexual immorality and just living that way and looking back realizing, man, like the Lord never really changed my life and that led me to come to Fisher's Farm. Um, and I don't know that I was necessarily saved at the farm or I just know in the last five years the Lord saved me, but at the farm it really he brought me to my knees and it was through the preaching of the word, you know, it says in Romans that faith comes through hearing the word of Christ and through hearing the word I was just one day I remember at the farm convicted of like the first time that I'm unworthy and undeserving, I'm unrighteous in myself, and that Christ is my only hope. Um, and that just became ever increasingly clear as time went on and even today. And so, yeah, that's in a nutshell, kind of short and summarized. And so that's, that's why I wanted to get rebaptized. Um, Grady, I know that, you know, normally you have to be baptized before you're a member, but he allowed me to be a member because, you know, I just wanted to pray through if I needed to get baptized again. Although now it's, I wouldn't say again because the first one was just getting dunked in water, really. But um, yeah, so this is my first time publicly professing that Christ is my Lord, and that's kind of why I wanted to do this. Amen to that. Amen to that. And, we, and we see it, Jeremy. We see your love for God and your love for His Word. We see how His grace has pursued you and changed you, and we just rejoice at hearing how He's done that, and so we celebrate with you. So. We're we'll going to do what we did just a few minutes ago with Aaron, but we'll give a chance for a few of you guys who want to speak to, to say a word. I think we have some, somebody who wants to start out right here. Good morning, church. The pleasure of my son. <laughs> Words can express what we see in Jeremy. Um, we have long conversations now where he's teaching me. How often does your son need to teach your father? But it reminds me of a sermon I heard years and years ago when I came to know Christ because we only needed one father, and I'm not that. Our father's in heaven. Jeremy is that model. And I know Jeff, man, words can't speak what you and Jen has done too. Uh, we hear the testimonies uh, from this farm. Uh, you know, we got Conrad here and Brad and Aaron, and we hear all these names of these men that, that have been broken, just as us, as broken people, and on our knees. And there's a place that these men can go where they can find the true hope. Uh, and it's not a coincidence, because as I sat in Sunday school class this morning with the gentleman that was teaching, and uh, I'm preparing as, you know, I thought I knew it all. I went to seminary. Jeremy has taught me that there's things I need to know and understand as a pastor and a father and, a, and, and leading my flock. And today in, in that class, as God is not a, a God of, oh, that's just the way it works. No, it's, he's, he's a God of, of a path. And, and as we're talking about today in your temporary, my sermon's about hope. The 
hope that we have. Everyone has hope, but what is our true hope? It's right there. As we see these men confessing their lives to the one and only Christ and Savior that we need. And I'm not going to preach much longer. <laughs> Don't ever give up a pastor in my opinion. But Jeremy, and we're so proud of you because you are the man that God wants us to be. You're a reflection of that. There's still a lot of work, as we always say, school's in session every day. But God, thank you so much for Jeremy and this church for accepting him for who he is because it takes a family to grow a man in Christ. Thank you. Amen. We're thankful you guys came all the way across the country to be here. That's not a short trip for you guys. We're glad you were here, sir. Blake and Lydia. Um, I remember the very first time I got to see everybody from Fisher's Farms. I was greeting out front, and uh, I opened the door, and there was just this slew of men just walking forward. And <laughs> I was like, good morning. Um, but I just felt God's presence when y'all walked up, and it was such a humbling thing, and I knew I needed to get to know each and every one of y'all. And as I've gotten closer to everybody and gotten to learn uh, individual people that are there. Jeremy, you've started working with the youth, and we've just kind of gotten to talk so much together and, and learn each other and which theologians we like more than the others. And I, <laughs> I've really appreciated the conversations that we've shared, and I've, I've loved seeing your heart and watching watching you put the pieces together as, as God is illuminating the path in front of you and seeing the, the drive and the passion and the zeal that you have for the kingdom of God, not only just those around you, but you really have a, a, a distinct purpose, and you're finding it out, and I, it's beautiful and humbling to watch people get in the groove of God, <laughs> and, and I truly see you abiding, and it's just a, a, a blessing to know you and to get to see you grow and to grow alongside of you, and I appreciate you very much. Amen. Amen. I'll keep mine much short. <laughs> um, Jeremy, it's just, a, a, again, a privilege and honor to see you grow
sure we probably have the room here would like to share as well, but <laughs> Jeff, we're going to turn it back over to you. Yeah, Jeremy, I just echo again what my brothers and sisters in this room have said, and uh, definitely some of what Ye said. <laughs> when A lot heard. of what Ye said. Yeah, so you've, the Lord has used you to sanctify me in many ways, and uh, Lord, I, I'm thankful for it, and um, I've just seen you grow and uh, just change dramatically before my eyes, and I'm encouraged. Uh, I'm encouraged by your walk and just your struggle to fight for faith, and you know, it, it gives me hope, and I'm just encouraged, brother, so. Jeremy, do you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and understand that salvation comes from Him alone? I do. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. just like Jeremiah and Ezekiel tell us of the new covenant. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will clean you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Oh, Lord, we stand together today as we gather a gateway as a people who are 100% in your debt. Lord, as your grace has flooded over us, Lord, as all of the promises of your covenant are I will, and Lord, you apprehended each of us. And we are so, so grateful. And we worship you today. We worship you, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, we thank you that as all-powerful as you are, as all-knowing as you are, as all-present as you are, Lord, that you also came near. You also care about our needs, and you invite us, Lord, to bring them before you. Lord, this morning, we just want to start out and, and just pray for Lord, the marriages in our church. And Lord, we know that what you designed to be a picture Lord, of Christ and the church, and that union, Lord, is under attack, Lord, from the enemy and even from our own flesh and from the world, Lord. And we just want to ask that you would do what only you can do, Lord, that you would change marriages one heart at a time, Lord. Lord, we just ask you to do that. And Lord, we also pray, Lord, for ministries in our own church, for Lenny and Debbie, Lord, the work that they do in Shepherd Staff, Lord. Just the hearts over the years, Lord, to serve those around them, Lord, to serve those that have needs. Lord, we pray you continue to bless them and resource them, Lord, that we could encourage them as a body of believers, Lord. We just really put them before you, Lord. And Lord, as we pray for other churches and pastors, we pray for Pastor Frank Bowling and Eastmont Baptist Church. Lord, just pray that even this day, carrying the, the weight and the mantle of shepherding, 
his body, Lord, that you would give him great encouragement, Lord, that he would look to you, Lord, that he would be strengthened in the inner man, Lord, we pray that, Lord, he would be leading his church, discipling his church, Lord, that he would be, uh, Lord, encouraging other leaders in the church, Lord, would you just uh, bring more and more people to Christ uh, through East Mount Baptist Church, and Lord, we also pray across the world, Lord, we pray for 11 Christian teachers who are on staff at the National Taiwan University of Sport in Taichung, Taiwan. Lord, that uh, Lord, they're meeting monthly to pray for students and faculty and how to reach them with the gospel. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you give them the desires of their heart. Lord, that they would see many come to Christ there in Taiwan. Lord, that uh, the gospel would spread there. Lord, we thank you for uh, how you have uh, blessed our church, Lord, with resources. Lord, I pray that you would put on all our hearts to be good stewards of that which you've blessed us with, Lord, knowing that it all comes from your hand. Lord, that we would not only be givers, but we'd be cheerful givers. Lord, we thank you for Lord Grady. Lord, that the word proclaimed each Sunday, Lord, the amount of preparation, Lord, to bring your word. I pray even now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill him and use him. I pray, Lord, that you would also open up our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Lord, our hearts to believe and our feet to walk out what we're about to hear today. So, Lord, we just commit all this to you and thank you for just this wonderful time together as a body of believers here today. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And kids, first to fourth grade, you're dismissed. Uh, kids, worship out those doors right there. And Mr. Zach and Miss Rachel, first to fourth grade. Just a reminder to parents, you will pick up your kids in the blue hallway at the end of the service. Why don't you find Acts chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 1. This morning, now while you're finding Acts chapter 1, I'm just curious, does anyone have already marked on your calendars Thursday, May 26th for an important Christian holiday? Anyone have May 26th as an important Christian holiday on your calendar? Okay, I see a lot of blank stares right now. Now, what is the celebration that happens in some parts of the world and in other traditions on May 26th? It's actually a very, very old Christian holiday. It's a Christian holiday we have records of all the way back to the 4th century. It's a Christian holiday that St. Augustine, one of the church fathers, wrote about in the 5th century. It's actually a a Christian holiday that the composer Bach wrote special music for to be used in the churches. It's a holiday celebrated 40 days after Easter. Since Easter is always on a Sunday, this is always on a Thursday. It's a holiday sometimes called Holy Thursday. What is it? It's a holiday that celebrates the ascension of Christ, the the bodily return of Christ to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. Now, I've never celebrated this holiday before. And from the looks I saw from you guys, most of you probably haven't celebrated this holiday either, but perhaps the reality of this being unknown to us points us to a theological truth that we often overlook, and that theological truth is the ascension of Christ, the bodily return of Christ to heaven. As I was studying for this over the last two weeks, one of the authors I read said this, for many evangelical Christians and churches, Jesus' ascension is simply an afterthought to Easter and Good Friday. His ascension, his bodily return to heaven is nothing more to most of us than an afterthought to Easter. Another author said, For many Christians and churches, Easter is the end of the celebration. We tend to forget or just skim over the essential part of the story where Jesus ascended back into heaven. And that certainly seems to be true, doesn't it? We think about Advent and these weeks we set aside with the special music and the church services and the reminders around our home of the incarnation of Christ, the coming of Christ. We do this at Easter with Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We have the music, we have the reminders, the special services about Christ's death and resurrection 
And then we come to Jesus' bodily return to heaven, and we barely even give thought to it. As such, I'm really glad that the New City Catechism that is guiding our study included that. And so today we come to question number 49, where is Christ now? So question 49 this morning, where is Christ now? There's only three more questions left of this. We are in the home stretch of our study of being more rooted and grounded in the Word of God. So to answer our question, we'll look at Acts chapter 1 this morning. Now, before we jump into our text, just some context of what we're looking at here. We've studied Acts and some other passages in Acts in our study through this past year. But let me remind you, it's written by Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. This records the life of Jesus. Now we pick up in Acts with part two of his writings. Look back up in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke says, in the first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was what? When he was what? Taken up. Okay, that's what we're picking up today. So Luke tells us all of Christ's earthly ministry, his birth through his earthly ministry, all the way till he was taken up to his ascension. And now we pick back up here in the end of Luke, in the beginning of Acts, with the ascension. And from there, he focuses on the growth of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit. Where we're at this morning is 40 days after the resurrection. Look back in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So this is 40 days after the resurrection. We're at a historical event that was a part of God's sovereign plan that fills us with a lot of hope. So as we read our text this morning, friends, be looking for not only where is Jesus now, but also be thinking, how does this reality help me? So where is Jesus now? But what difference does it make? As we think about the ascension of Christ, what difference does this truth Make. So Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We will also have the words on the screen for you. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given to us exactly what we need to know about you and your plans and what you desire for us. And so I pray this morning as we look at the ascension of Christ, that this text will come alive to us, that your Holy Spirit would fill us and give us eyes to see the wonder of what we're reading, and it would give us hope as only you can give us as we think about the wonder of this text. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, our question, where is Jesus now? We're actually going to break this into three questions this morning. Now, don't worry, we're not going to do this over three weeks. We'll do this in one morning here, but three questions. Where is Jesus now? What is he doing there? And what difference does it make? So where is Jesus now? What is he doing there? And what difference does that make? Now, before we jump into those three questions, let's take apart this text, make sure we understand what we are reading here. Luke tells the story with such simplicity and just such quick detail for us, but let's take this apart. Go back to the beginning of verse 9. And when he had said these things, so for the last 40 days, Jesus has been teaching them, and it says he's been teaching them these things. What are these things? Go back up to verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about, here it is, the kingdom of God. So for 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he spent his time with the disciples teaching about the kingdom of of God, God's plans, God's rule over all things, God's plan for redemption. But when Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God, this was not just some abstract theological concept 
for these disciples. Jesus was pushing them out on mission to understand their role in the kingdom of God, their part in advancing the kingdom of God. We saw that a few weeks ago in the Great Commission and our call to make disciples. We see it here in verse 8 as well. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So for the 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is talking about God's kingdom, his plans, his redemptive purposes, and the role of each of his disciples in God's kingdom. And after this final charge in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which takes place east of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, we come to verse 9. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. He was lifted up. The Greek word here, he was lifted up, was just one word in Greek, and it's passive, which means it was done to him. It means someone else lifted him up. And who would that be? That would be the Father. That the Father ascends Jesus, lifts Jesus back up into heaven, brings him back to heaven, to his rightful place of ruling, his rightful place of being worshipped, because his work on earth was done. Now let me remind us, this is not symbolism, this is not poetry, this is actual literal history for us here, that Jesus literally bodily ascended into heaven because of the work of the Father here. Notice the emphasis that God gives us here, making sure we understand they actually saw this. Look at this repeated emphasis, verse 9. When he said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, a cloud to them out of their sight. Verse 10, as they were gazing into heaven as he went. Verse 11, men of God, why do you stand looking into heaven? He will come in the same way as you saw him go. Over and over in verses 9, 10, and 11, it's this emphasis on him, them seeing these things. These are eyewitnesses recording for us what literally happened in Jesus' ascension. But there's something stunning here about Jesus' ascension I want to make sure we do not miss. Go back to verse 9. When he said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, friends, this is not an Alabama rain cloud that we're talking about here, okay? It's not like, oh, good, there's a little bit of shade over us right now. This is not like watching an airplane at the airport take off and disappear into a cloud. This cloud here is called, sometimes called the Shekinah glory, the visible brightness that surrounds God's presence. So we're not talking about an Alabama spring rain cloud. We're talking about the glory of God that Jesus vanishes into as he ascends into heaven. This is what you see in the tabernacle. Back to Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, not because there was a rain cloud raining on it. Why? But because the cloud, the glory of God had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is what you see at the transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. When some of the disciples go up on the mountain with Jesus, he was speaking with them, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased listen to him now verse six when the disciples see the cloud and hear the voice they're not like oh good we've got some shade today they fell on their face and were terrified this is what we're looking at here in our text today that the cloud that jesus vanishes into here is the glory of god paul brings out this emphasis for us in first timothy chapter three Verse 16, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, now believed on in the world, now taken up in what? Taken up in glory. That Jesus ascended into the glory of God, the visible glory of God. In other words, friends, what we have in Acts 1 here in the ascension is not just a nice little piece of history trivia for us. This is a massively significant event in world history, it's a massively significant event in God's redemptive plan. It's massively significant for giving you and I hope today. 
to make sure we understand the significance of this, don't miss this as well. In the ascension, God sends angels to explain what's happening. And God does this in significant redemptive events. The birth of Christ, when there could be so much misunderstanding. God sends an angel to Joseph, sends an angel to Mary. He even sends an angel to shepherds in the field to make sure people understood this is the Messiah who has come. At Jesus' resurrection, he doesn't leave people wondering, did the body get stolen? What happened? He sends angels who are there at the tomb who explain that Jesus is risen as he said. And now again here, in a significant event, God sends angels to make sure the disciples understand what is happening here. Look at verse number 10. And while they, the disciples, were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Now, these two men were angels. Now, how do we know that? Well, one, they appear out of nowhere. That's a pretty good sign. They explain what God is doing and speak on his behalf, but they appear just like other angels appear in Scripture. For example, John chapter 20, verse 12, 40 days earlier at the empty tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. You have the same appearance now here back in our verse this morning, these men standing in white robes. And notice what the angels say to disciples, verse 11. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, don't miss this, friends. This is actually a rebuke. This is actually a correction. This is not just like a kind pat on the back. The angels are actually being sent by God to give a slight correction here to the disciples. Why? Well, their job wasn't, their mission wasn't to stand and stare at the clouds. Jesus had told them to go make disciples of all nations. Jesus had told them to be witnesses when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Their mission was not just a stare at the sky. I love how John Stott says it. He said, it was the earth, not the sky, which is to be their preoccupation. The vision they were to cultivate was not upwards in nostalgia to the heaven which had received Jesus, but outwards in compassion to a lost world which needed him. Their vision was not to be nostalgic. Oh, wow, this is amazing. We saw Jesus disappear in the Shekinah glory. Their mission was outward in compassion to a lost world the need of Jesus. And friends, we need that reminder as well, because it's very easy for us as well to think about those nostalgic moments in our life, our experiences with God, those mountaintop moments, whether it's a baptism or some experience at church or the VBS as a child or whatever, and we look back on that. But friends, we can be thankful for those, but our job is not to sit around preoccupied with these nice things. Our job is to go outward in compassion to a lost world. And so the angels say, don't just stand there and look into heaven. And they remind them that Christ is coming back and they have work to do before that point. So that's our text for the day. So let's answer our three questions from this as well. Make sure we understand this. First of all, where is Jesus now? The answer was in this text and a phrase was repeated four times, three here in verse 11. So look for it. Men of, verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into where? Into heaven. This Jesus who's taken up from you into where? Heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into where? Heaven. Okay, you get the idea here? Sometimes God repeats things to make sure we don't miss it, right? If there's any question, heaven, 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 and in the previous verse, heaven, this phrase is repeated four times in this text, into heaven, into heaven, into heaven, into heaven. Jesus is in heaven. Now, what is heaven? For those of you who are 80s music fans like me, heaven, no, is not a place on earth, right? Heaven is a literal place, but friends, it is not on this earth. I love how theologian Wayne Grudem describes it. Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Friends, there's not a place that God, there's, where God is not. God is omnipresent. He is 
everywhere. So God is here now. God is everywhere. There's nowhere we can flee from God's presence. The heavens is a place to where God obviously is there, but his, he's especially present to bless. It's a place where his presence is especially known, where his glorious nature is especially revealed. It's a place where angels worship him without ceasing. It's a place where all the souls of all who believe in him go, and Jesus returned to that literal place. I love how 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22 describes it, which, by the way, after we finish rooted, 1 Peter is where we're headed next. Jesus, who is going into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus is literally in heaven with God the Father, with God the Spirit, with the angels around him worshiping him. He's going exactly as he told his followers he would do. John chapter 20, verse 17, he's talking to Mary Magdalene. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That Jesus ascended back to a literal place called heaven. And it'd be something for us to explore another time, but one theologian said this was the sweetest reunion ever in world history, when God the Son returns to God the Father. So where is Jesus now? He's in heaven with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, with the angels, the heavenly beings, the souls of all the believers who have died. He's back at his proper place of being worshipped for who he really is. So that's our first question. Where is he now? He's in heaven. Question two, what is he doing there? And friends, despite the cartoons of the past, he's not sitting on a harp with angels or sitting on a cloud strumming a harp, right? He's actually not just passively killing time. When Jesus returns to heaven, having completed his work on earth, he's not sitting on a cruise line in heaven playing shuffleboard all day. He is still actively working. His work did not stop when he ascended into heaven. Go back to the beginning of Acts 1. Look at verses 1 and 2. There's an important word here that I had missed in reading Acts before, but it's so significant to what Jesus is doing now. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus this, began to do and teach. He, didn't, he could have just written, I've dealt with everything Jesus did and taught while he was on earth. He says, I've, de- I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So the day he was taken up, he had just begun to do and to teach here. That means everything in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. That means it didn't end when he ascended back into heaven. He is continuing to work and to teach still today, though he is in heaven. We get a glimpse of this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 22. We're told, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. When you see this image of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, this is a place of power, a place of ruling, that Jesus had been made the exalted, sovereign, ruling, reigning king. And yes, he's in heaven, but he's not sitting up there playing shuffleboard or playing his harp. He is in heaven on the throne, ruling and reigning as a sovereign king overall. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Like, he doesn't even begin to compare. He is a supreme, exalted, sovereign ruler. He's above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he, the Father, put all things under Christ's feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which we talked about a few weeks back. That Jesus is the head. He is the ruler over all things. That means no one can stop his power. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he knows this, upholds the universe by the word of his power. So what is Jesus doing right now? He is in heaven, on the throne, sovereignly ruling and reigning and upholding the universe by his word. He is the sovereign king. Unless we think, oh, that's just some nice 
theological truth there. Friends, this should be very personal to us because if Jesus is on the throne ruling and reigning, upholding all things, that means he is ruling and reigning over you and me and he's upholding us as well. I love how John 10 describes it when Jesus is talking about what he does for us. In John chapter 10, verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And I love this image. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Friends, that means that his, he, Christ, the sovereign ruler who's ruling and reigning, is holding you and I. If we're in Christ, he is holding us to where nothing can take us from him. And if that's not enough, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he's not just on his throne and differently reigning. He is praying for us. I love this. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is in heaven sovereignly ruling and reigning over every detail of our lives. So where's Jesus now? He's in heaven. What is he, do, is he doing? He's sovereignly ruling and reigning over all things, including my life and your life. Now, number three, what difference does that make? What difference does believing in the ascension of Christ and him being in heaven ruling make for you and I today? Well, look at what it did for the apostles. Luke tells this story twice. Yes, the ascension is that important. At the very end of Luke, it's the ascension of the beginning of Acts. But Luke chapter 24, verse 50, at the very end, then he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. When he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now look at verse 52. And they, the disciples, worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem, confused and perplexed and not sure what to do next. <laughs> they returned to Jerusalem with what? With what? With great joy. They have just seen Christ go to heaven, which could probably cause a lot of fear. They've just been rebuked by the angels, and they leave with great joy. Why, friends? Because understating the ascension, as Christ revealed it, as the angels corrected them here with it, gives us great joy. I want to give you three ways that thinking about the ascension should give us great joy as well. Number one, believing in the ascension of Christ gives us assurance of our future with him. When we understand that Christ has ascended, it gives us assurance of our own future with him. Friends, life on this earth is hard. We talk about this a lot. There's so much in Scripture about walking through trials and suffering. When we get to 1 Peter for our next study, which will be a year or more, I'm not sure how long yet, but whenever, as we walk through 1 Peter slowly, there's going to be a lot about suffering and trials. So life is hard, and yet God has given us this glorious promise to us that this life is not all there is. That this life is not our own, as our home. As we walk through the suffering, this is very temporary, and we have a future with him in heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 3, If I go, which he's going, he's ascended, and I prepare a place for you, I will come again, which is what the last verse of our text today was all about, and I will take you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. Friends, when we understand the ascension of Christ, it reminds us that one day we will be with him also. And friends, this reality of heaven is more glorious than you and I can imagine. Like, I love hanging out with my kids and other kids because their imaginations and the stories they come up with are so vivid and so cool. Friends, if we put all of our creativity together, we can't even begin to imagine what heaven with Christ is going to be like. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. As is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We have assurance of our future with the ascended Christ who is in heaven, who is ruling and reigning and preparing a place for us. Friends, that is a lot of hope and joy for us personally. And for those of you who are grieving the loss of loved ones and friends who are followers of Christ, this is our hope as well, that they are with Christ in heaven, worshiping him, and we will be with them one day, with all who love Christ. So it gives us the assurance of our future with him. Number two, though, the ascension of Christ gives us help 
for this life now. The ascension of Christ gives us help for this life now. You've heard me say it lots and lots of times, but God's plan for us is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. God never promises an easy life on earth, but he has promised to give us the help we need and to walk with us now through it. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. But now I'm going to him who sent me. He's talking about ascending back to heaven. And none of you asked to me, where are you going? Verse 6. But because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. So when the disciples first hear about the ascension before it actually happens, they're not real happy. Wait, wait, wait. You're going away and you're leaving us here? How can that be good? But verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the helper, he, the Holy Spirit, to you. When Jesus ascends, he sends his Holy Spirit, which is what comes next in Acts. It's what he promised back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And not for today, but I encourage you to read, go read Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit does come and fills all of Christ's followers. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, who is with us every moment of every day, who gets with us everywhere we go, doing what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And friends, as stunning as that is, that we have all this help now as the Holy Spirit walks with us, Jesus gives us even more help and more hope. We saw it a minute ago, but Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he lives to make intercession for him. You have the Holy Spirit in you if you're in Christ, and Jesus is praying for you also. And as if that is not enough, he gives us one more. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, And you can come talk to me as well. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Yes, friends, life is hard, but we have the Holy Spirit who fills us if we're in Christ. And so we have the Holy Spirit in us everywhere we go, every moment of every day. We have Jesus in heaven ruling and reigning and praying for us and inviting us to walk into God's throne room covered with Christ's righteousness to get the mercy and grace we need for anything we face. So how does believing in the ascension helps us? It gives us assurance of our future. It helps us in this life now. Number three, it strengthens us to do his work. It strengthens us to do his work. He sent us on a mission. I'm not going to reread the text, but the Great Commission we've talked about in Acts 1-8, we've mentioned. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, friends, I want you to think about 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Because in 1 Corinthians, we're told that our labors in the Lord are not in vain. Whatever we do as we seek his strength to do it, as we seek to make disciples of nations, as we seek to be his witnesses, they're not in vain because he gives us the strength to do that. Friends, believing in the resurrection of Christ, believing in his ascension gives us assurance of our future, gives us help for this life now, and it strengthens us to do his work now. So you want a beautiful picture of this, Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Stephen was one of the first deacons in the early church. He was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and he was persecuted for his faith. He was the first Christian martyr. But I want you to notice something in here I missed in the past when I was looking at this text. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. As Stephen is being persecuted and being killed for his faith, what does God show him? God shows him the ascended, ruling, and reigning Christ, standing at the right hand of God. In verse 56, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen went joyfully to his death with power because, of the, because he knew the ascended Christ 
was ruling and reigning and was waiting in heaven for him. Let's bring all that back together this morning. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. What's he doing? He's sovereignly ruling and reigning over all things, including your life and mine. And what difference does it make? It makes every difference. Because it gives us joy as we walk the hardships of life, knowing our future is secured, knowing we have all the help we need now, and we have purpose in this life and strength to do what God has called us to do. So let me give you a one-sentence summary of this text. Where is Jesus now? Here's what I want you to see. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven where he sovereignly rules over all things, including every detail of our lives. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. He's sovereignly ruling over everything, upholding the whole universe by the word of his power, but upholding every detail of our lives as well. So I'm going to ask you this morning, friends, do you know this Jesus personally? Not just about this Jesus, but do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus who is holding you, who is praying for you, who is inviting you to come talk to him? Do you know him personally? Do you have the confidence that we saw from Jeremy and Aaron earlier to say, yes, I know him. He has pursued me. He has followed me. He has chased after me. He's gotten a hold of me. He has changed me. Do you know him personally? And friends, life is hard. As I pray for you, as the other elders pray for you, you walk through so many different hardships. Friends, do you have confidence that the ascended Christ is on his throne? Friends, our lives are not spinning out of control. That God is on his throne. That Christ is on his throne. He is ruling and reigning in heaven. And he is working all things, even things we don't understand. And we may never understand. He is working them for our good and for his glory, for the good of his church. Friends, do you know today that Christ is alive and well in heaven, watching over you, ruling over all things, praying over you, and rejoicing over you this day. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven, where he sovereignly rules over all things, including every detail of our lives. Friends, let's meditate on that truth this week and let it fill our lives with hope and joy this week as we think about, worship, and celebrate the ascended Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that we get to worship you, that you've shown us who you are. You've shown us a glimpse of your glory and your greatness. And Lord, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that you would increase our heart's desire to know you more, that you would give us this week a confidence knowing, Lord Jesus, that you are ruling and reigning. Lord, life is hard. You know that. Lord Jesus, you experience that yourself. And I pray this week, whatever comes, the good or the bad, that we would know, Lord, that you are on your throne that you are ruling and reigning, and that you are working things out in ways that we can't understand in our tiny, limited brains, but we trust your infinite wisdom. So I pray this week for myself and these brothers and sisters that the ascension of you, Lord Jesus, would give us hope this week, would give us joy this week, would remind us this week that this is not our home and to help us stop living for this world, but living for eternity. I pray this week that it would give us the hope of knowing you're with us, you're watching over whatever we're walking through and that you've sent your Holy Spirit to be right here with us. I pray that we would see the glories of this week, of the invitation we have. You're already praying for us, but you invite us to come talk to you as well. So I pray that as we think about that, we would respond to your invitation. Lord, I pray as well that we would live this week not just with the nostalgia of the past in view, but we live with a lost and hurting world in front of us. And there's so many around us who need the hope that can only be found in believing in you. So even this week, would you send us out, Lord, to make you known wherever we go. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
us a closing benediction this morning. Just to remind you, your elders are able to pray for you. If you need someone to talk to or pray about anything we've talked about this morning, about the hardships of life, I know Greg's over here. Maybe you want to come down front. I know Seth, if you're over here, there's other guys scattered around the room. But if you need someone to talk to or pray to after service, come find one of these guys. William's in the back by the back door back there. William, if you lift up your hand, he's right by the double doors in the back. And there's other guys in the room as well. Come see one of us, and we'd love to pray over you before you leave today. I'm going to read a benediction of Scripture for you in light of what we've seen this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we pray this week that you would give us grace to stir our hearts, to want to, with confidence, draw near to your throne of grace. Remind us, O oh Lord, this week that you are ruling and reigning in heaven. You are on your throne and you show compassion to us and you love us and you rejoice over us and you're praying for us. And I pray we would have no timidity this week in running to your throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We ask it for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family.